I think John did a great job with the, <laughs> the new system that was suddenly thrust upon him there. Thanks, John. And thank you for the worship too. You need your Bibles open, please, at uh, Luke 1. So how are your preparations for Christmas going? I mean, you can't miss it in the shops and the supermarkets, in the garden centres and the rest, can you? Have you bought your cards? You got your wrapping paper? You got the wreath on the front door? You made the pudding? Or maybe bought it at Little's? Um, whatever it is, wonder how they're going. Well, this next week, uh, this week and next week, we're going to prepare for Christmas by looking at the gospel accounts of how Mary this week and Joseph next week uh, prepared or were prepared by God for that first Christmas. The account is in Luke 1, 26 to 38. Um, Mary's preparation or being prepared by, by God for it was a total surprise to her. It was out of, out of the blue. We assume she was going about her business, doing whatever a young teenage girl at that time would, would have been doing, when suddenly there's an angel and her whole world is turned upside down and back to front and so is the history of the world in those moments. We later read that she took off in great haste to her aunt Elizabeth down south. No wonder. She had a great deal to think about and work out in her own heart and mind. And by the time she got there, she was pregnant, as John the Baptist in her aunt Elizabeth's womb uh, took no notice of. So, the story as we have it here all began with God. We read, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. God, or the Lord God, as he's called uh, a little later in the verse. Just think about that. It all began with God. David, King David of the Old Testament, writing towards the end of his life, 1 Chronicles 29, wrote this. Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You're exalted as head over all. It's yours, Lord. As Paul wrote to the Romans 11:36, of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Just pause there. The Lord God, who set all this in motion, is bigger, better, more wonderful, more powerful, 
more glorious, more beautiful than anything we could even begin to imagine. All that is comes from him who is God. From before time began, God had a plan for exactly what we've read about in our Bible reading this morning. Before time began, God had his plan. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, or when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. But when the time had fully come, or as the TLB version says, when the right time came, the time God decided on, he sent his son, born of a woman, born as a Jew. Some tried to divide the church from our Jewish roots. However, um, from verse 1 of Matthew's Gospel, there's no escaping. Jesus was born a Jew. Or that the Gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. When the time had fully come, or the right time. We read in verses 26 then, um, not only is God's timing perfect, but this message, think about this, came from God in heaven to earth to one tiny geographical location called Israel to the region of Galilee to the town of Nazareth to an unmarried teenage girl named Mary, the God who is, the God who is. I guess most of us these days have mobile phones. I'm amazed I can pick up this mini computer, dab my finger over it, I'm not one of these uh, thumb people, and I can call someone across the other side of the world, just like that. I don't have any idea how it works, probably like a good many of us, but it happens, it works, and we get connection. However, how much more impressive is the fact that the Lord God knows not only where Mary was, and his communication was spot on. He got, his, he got her number. Better still, he got her name, not her number. He knows where you are. He knows where I am. Psalm 139 sums it up, doesn't it, beautifully? <clears throat> From verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The day is fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Not only was God's plan for Mary and her encounter with the angel all those years ago at that time, but so too he had a plan for you and for me. And what's more, do you know, God has not only got this book out, but he's writing currently books in heaven. Do you know that? One is called the Book of Life. The other is the book of the record of the works of his servants who served his kingdom purposes. And if you've been born again, your name's written in heaven. Your name is written in heaven. Sort of, so a question this morning is, is your name written in the book, the book of life? Because your eternal future absolutely depends on whether it's written in God's book. Because no, make no doubt, make no have no doubt about it that uh, whether you're a believer or not, he knows your name and where you are. And his grace reaches out to each of us and all of us. So all that we read in this short passage here begins with God. The God who is and knows all that is. So now let's move on to the angel, that is, to Gabriel. Do you know, according to the Bible, angels are just such amazing creatures. Maybe you've read the description of Satan before he f fell. It's in Ezekiel 28, 11 to 13. Uh, we read, you were the seal of perfection. Wow. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Just note Satan is a created being. He is not a god, though he aspires to be just that. An amazing amazing creature. Ezekiel also describes four living creatures that he encountered. And he says, this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces. Each one had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands, the hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides and each 
of the four had faces and wings. No wonder Ezekiel was struggling. So it was like this, it was like that. I haven't got the words to describe these magnificent, amazing, wonderful creatures. In Luke 1.19, Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel, talking to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, to be, uh, said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. How awesome must he be? No wonder we read, when Mary saw him, she was troubled. I imagine she was troubled not only by what he said, but also by the appearance of this one who suddenly appeared there before him. And this awesome angel had a message for Mary that would transform her, form her life and that would change the whole of world history from that moment on. There's a great overlap in this passage between what Mary was experiencing and was going on here to you and to me. Hebrews 12, 22 to 23 reads this way. You've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are, are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect, an innumerable company company of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn. You notice the link between angels and people. Why did God need so many angels? Because he was going to redeem a company of people who were more than a man can number, beyond human ability to count. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us, that believers have an angel assigned to them who has access, direct access to the Father. God has the very latest update on you. The very latest, the now, now. Latest. Indeed, the psalmist says, 34 verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. I wonder how many times in my life, maybe in your life, angels have been active and I didn't realize it or perceive it, saved me from myself, uh, brought good things into my life, whatever it was, according to the will and purpose of God, because they're active on our behalf. Not only did an angel come to Mary, but to you and to me also. So let's turn to that girl, Mary. Wow. We're told, having come in, this angel suddenly turned out, like, like he's, he's got to say something now because, wow. <laughs> having come in, we read, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favoured one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. A little later we read, Mary said, 
Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. What a wonderful response to this life-changing word that was delivered to this young woman. Highly favoured one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. In between these two verses, uh, the beginning and the end of the story, or the early part of the story and the end, Gabriel tells Mary of God's choice of her and relays God's message to her. It's a wonderful, fearful, life-changing for Mary and the whole world throughout time and eternity. It's amazing. Mary has an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Her experience is totally unique, never to be repeated by anyone else ever in the history of the universe. And yet, there's an overlap to you and me. If you read Paul's comment uh, when he expresses his concern for the Galatian church in this way. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed in you. It was unique that Mary carried the Christ and yet, and yet, he is being formed in you and in me. Two Corinthians three eighteen says, "We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord." You pregnant this morning? Is Christ being formed in you? You're being changed from one degree of glory to another. We all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Paul tells us, and yet we're destined to share God's glory. And we're being changed from one degree of glory to another. Hebrews 1.3, we read Jesus, who being the brightness of his, that's God's glory, and the exact, the express image of his person, literally, it's the exact representation of his nature. And Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He's totally expressed in the Son. In the beginning, mankind was created in the image of God, but we lost it at the fall, and it, at least it was marred and spoiled. Christ is the perfect image of God, and the Holy Spirit is working in believers' hearts to recreate the image of, Christ, of God in us. Paul writes to the Colossians, chapter 1, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Have you got the revelation? To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. Says Paul, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Wow. That's the purpose of God working in you and in me. To conform us to the image of his only begotten son, perfect in Christ Jesus well, if you want to know, ask the ladies who've had children what it's like to be pregnant. I certainly, as a young husband, had no understanding at all of what Doreen was going through. And if she was here, she'd say, oh, yes, that's so true. Changes are happening within a woman that result in all sorts of things, like uh, you've noticed uh, the peripheral things like eating coal or some such, having some desperate need to eat whatever it may be. Changes are happening physically, psychologically, emotionally, but the result will be new life. Let's apply that. The things that have happened in you and to you since you came to Christ because are because the Holy Spirit is at work in you to conform you to the image Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul writes to the Philippians, chapter 2, 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Yes, we have a privilege of cooperating with God that his pleasure might be fulfilled because he's bringing many sons to glory. And by the grace of God, we're some of those many sons. So we arrive at the point in this record of Mary's encounter with the angel um, with the, uh, the child, Jesus. He is, as they say, the reason for the season. I'm sure you will agree. So listen to verses 31 to 33 there. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow, this young girl being told, hey, she's going to be pregnant and, uh, and have a child. It will be a son. This is his name and this is what he's going to be. I guess when mum's first pregnant, there are all sorts of hopes and dreams of what the child will be. And they may get fulfilled or they may be dashed a little later on. So let's note, in this case, the names and titles. It's Jesus or Saviour. And do you remember the angel said to Joseph, uh, you should call him Jesus for he will save his people from his sins. 
He's also called the son of the highest. In verse 35, the holy one, the son of God. There's no doubt. It couldn't be clearer. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, yet he is also the son of Mary. He's fully God and fully man. He's fully both. It's not half God and half man, or three quarters God and a quarter man, or any other percentage you like might have to. He's both fully and holy because it's God. And all history has been waiting for the announcement of this person and just who and what he would be in the days following his coming. But it's only spoken to Mary. She's in that unique position where God came to her. What was about to happen was spoken of first in the Garden of Eden and then repeatedly through the Old Covenant right up to this time. Remember that uh, scripture we read so often at Christmas, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, is the long-promised one. He comes to take his place as the king of the kingdom of God. God who walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, who dwelt in the tabernacle in the wilderness, who inhabited the temple in Jerusalem, has now come clothed in fresh to tabernacle amongst his people. And now tabernacle to dwell in the hearts and lives of his people. So let's think about that. This is how John in his prologue to his gospel writes. John 1 from verse 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world And the world was made through him, and the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. Mary, because of the Holy Spirit's activity in her, conceived the Christ.
and by an amazing miracle of God's grace, he dwells in all true believers. You are, as I said, made, making the point some months ago with Vic, a walking, talking, living being, living, breathing tabernacle, dwelling place of God. Jesus said in John 15, I am the true vine. My father is the vine forever. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God's plan and purpose in you and me is we become increasingly fruitful. We're talking about becoming like Jesus, our saviour. The one who saved us from our sins the son of the highest, the holy one, the son of the living God, all those titles. And yet he humbles himself not only to come to earth as a man, but to dwell in you and me. How amazing is that? The son of the highest. And I know him personally because he lives in me by the grace of God and in all those who know and love the Lord. So we arrive at the purpose of all this. What we're told is that uh, he will be great, be called the son of the highest, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know, this is the first mention in Luke's gospel of the kingdom. If you look in any decent concordance, you'll find that kingdom is a major, major theme of all three of the synoptic, the Matthew, Mark and Luke gospels. It's a major theme, one that quite often gets overlooked. There was an occasion when Jesus was standing amongst some people having a discussion and he's, um, they were questioning him um, and he said, uh, the kingdom of God is within you or as the margin has it, the kingdom of God is in your midst. There he was standing with his folk around and talking to them and they're talking about the kingdom of God when he says the kingdom of God's in your midst. The king is there, so the kingdom is there. And they don't see it, they don't understand it, but it certainly was true. The kingdom has come in the person of the king, King Jesus. The answer to the question, what did Jesus talk to the 12 about, or the 120 in the upper room, uh, during those 40 days between uh, his resurrection and the ascension. Well, Acts 1-3 tells us he was speaking about the things pertaining to the kingdom. That's his message, those crucial days. These people had to understand it's about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. When Philip went to Samaria, he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. When 
visiting Ephesus, Paul went into the, the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. And the last time he met with the Ephesian elders, he said, now I know that you all among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. The apostles preached the kingdom of God. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Every person that is born again is born again into the kingdom of God to live under the jurisdiction of the king, to serve his kingdom purposes and to do it acceptably, as Hebrews says, and with reverence and godly fear. If we look at the world around us today, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. Because the kingdom of God is near. And in the midst of that, globally, the kingdom of God is growing every day. And the more they kill, the more they reproduce. And greater the extent of the kingdom. Because there's no way they can keep it out. This kingdom which is now and is not yet. And we are called upon us to live as citizens of the kingdom. A kingdom of which the angel told Mary will have no end. It goes beyond our mortal death into eternity. For he will reign forever and ever. Adolf Hitler intended to establish the Third Reich for a thousand years. Winston Churchill said after Dunkirk that if the British Empire lasts a thousand years, men would say this was their finest hour. However, the only kingdom that would last a thousand years and then forever is the kingdom of God. With the birth of Jesus, the kingdom of God had dawned on earth. God in Christ, the king of the kingdom, is, called up, is calling upon people to enter the kingdom and live for the king under whose rule and reign they've now come. Our Heavenly Father is working his purpose out through the members of his kingdom, not least. Working in us to be just like Jesus and through us to spread the knowledge of the kingdom. Maybe this year, maybe this year, your preparations for Christmas should include some reflection on just how the Lord is working in you so that you become a better member of the kingdom and a more effective ambassador for the king. Maybe too that will result in changes in your life or your lifestyle. The 
the prayer team this morning, and Barbara and Roger, they'd be delighted to pray with you, I'm sure. So why not stay and pray and make room, make your vows to God right here and now as you, as we prepare for this Christmas in the purposes of God. Amen.